For today's story, we talk about an Illinois judge who once found a defendant guilty, but then decided the defendant was not guilty because the sentence of four years for the forcible purient assault was too severe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Civil Law, where we learn through the misfortunes of others. As always, I hope you'll enjoy this legal education content, and today may be the day I earn your subscription. For today's story, we are covering the story of an Illinois situation of the man of Drew Clinton. Drew Clinton is an 18-year-old who committed a forcible, purient assault as an adult, and he was found guilty at a bench trial. But then the judge said, you know what? You've already served five months in jail, and this crime calls for a minimum of four years, and four years is too much. So instead of uh, instead of guilty, how about not guilty because you've already gotten the maximum sentence I think you deserve? Okay, so we're going to read this article, and then we're going to read the transcripts of the thing in the hope that somehow it will make sense by the end. Let's find out if it does. Okay, first the article summary. An Illinois judge has reversed a conviction, citing five months as plenty of punishment. Okie doke. Drew Clinton, age 18, was initially found guilty of felony purient assault in October, which carries with it a minimum sentence of four years. Which, you know, sounds kind of reasonable to my immediate eye, but okay. Judge Adrian over here found found Drew Clinton guilty of one count of assault in October. So it was a bench trial. So he found him guilty. Okay, that's kind of an important step here. Found him guilty of one count of felony purient assault after he was accused of purently assaulting a 16-year-old at a graduation party last spring. So they're at a graduation party. The 18-year-old presumably is the one graduating. The 16-year-old is there and he... Uh, he decides to celebrate his graduation with a little bit of uh, forcible fun time with the 16-year-old. Not a great auspicious start to his adulthood. All right, but at the sentencing hearing on January 3rd, which we will soon read the transcript of, Adrian heard two post-trial motions from the defense that apparently changed his mind. The defendant, defense first argued that state sentencing guidelines for the assault, which requires a prison sentence of at least four years, are an example of legislatures interfering with the judicial process. Uh, what? They then argued the prosecution failed to prove beyond reasonable doubt the alleged victim was unable to give consent at the party. Okay. Uh, all right. Adrian, citing his desire to keep the young man with no prior criminal record out of prison, said he would agree with the prosecution that they failed to meet their burden of proof and therefore reverse his guilty verdict. There is no way for what happened in this case that the teenager should go to Department of Corrections. I will not do that. So he's reversing the conviction, not because he's been convinced that the conviction was wrong, but because he believes the sentence is too stiff. The judge adds, Mr. Clinton has served almost five months in county jail, 148 days. For what happened in this case, that's plenty of punishment. Okie doke. So that is the article, but... We are going to read the actual transcripts. We're going to read the transcript. Sorry. 
we're going to read the transcripts because, you know, we don't re- we don't believe the news media necessarily. And maybe somehow it makes sense once we read the transcripts. Right. So somehow we're going to read the transcripts and we're going to read it and we're going to say, you know what? We the, the, this article has misstated the facts, misstated law. This article doesn't know what it's talking about. This article has its head up its ass. Right. So we're going to read this transcript and it's all going to make sense. Right. 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 Okay, let's give it a shot. May it please the court and counsel judge at the conclusion of this trial, when we went straight into closing arguments. At the conclusion of this trial, we went straight into closing arguments. And while I made my argument, I feel as though I could have done a better job in stressing to the court where we're coming from on the issue. The question in this case is the portion of the statute where defendant knows the victim is unable to understand the nature of the act or unable to give knowing consent. So one of the things here is a mens rea statute or the mens rea element, right? So one of the things that the defendant, in order to be convicted of this crime in Illinois, your mileage may vary in other states. But in order to be convicted of this particular crime in Illinois, the defendant has to know something. And he has to know that the person's unable to give consent. Okay. A review of this evidence, Your Honor, I would suggest to the court, it leaves us with the inescapable conclusion. The state failed to meet its burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Backtracking and why I say that, while there was ample evidence, contradictory evidence, as to how much the alleged victim had to drink in this matter, the unrebutted evidence is that most she had was six little shooter things. Okay, depending on what that is, that could be a lot of alcohol. There's no evidence as to why, as there's no evidence as to when she stopped consuming alcohol. There's some evidence, contradictorily, that was seven o'clock or eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night, or maybe even later. But it's clear that, at least from the testimony I heard, she stopped drinking alcohol, the six little shooter things, by midnight or earlier that evening. And it's clear, and the evidence is, that she vomited. She also, I believe, testified she hadn't had anything to eat. So the question becomes, was she intoxicated to where she couldn't give consent? Or was she simply sick from drinking vodka or drinking these drinks on an empty stomach? And there isn't any evidence to tell us that she was intoxicated. We have no blood alcohol content. We have no blood alcohol. We have nothing from the hospital when she finally got there as to what her blood alcohol content was. And to extrapolate backwards in time, we simply have nothing to indicate she was intoxicated to the point where she could not give consent or did not know what was going on. My paraphrase of the statute. Okay, so just by way of legal analysis here, as long as we're doing something practical with our time, right? You have to be unable to give, give consent. So this is like more than drunk. Like merely being drunk isn't necessarily enough here, right? This isn't to necessarily say that having um, relations with someone who is drunk is necessarily good or even legal in some places, but it is to say that at least under this statute, and many statutes like it for that matter, but not necessarily all, that you know you have to be unable to give consent. So there is a difference here potentially between between being drunk and being unable to consent. So they're trying to ride that line, I guess. Okay. In addition, Your Honor, and I stress this, a young lady had been making decisions all night long for herself. And they were agreed to by literally everyone that was around her. They weren't the best decisions. To let her make her own decision wasn't necessary, but that was what happened. The young lady made her decision to go to that party and to furnish alcohol. The young lady made her decision to go swimming after the party. 
the young lady made the decision to take off her clothes and swim in her underwear at the party. And no one said, you don't want to do this, or you shouldn't do this, or you're not capable of making a rational decision, you know, don't do it. They simply allowed her to continue on making her decisions and acquiescing to those decisions. Whether they were right or wrong, she they were acquiescing to. So clearly, everyone around her believed that she was capable of making these decisions for herself. Well, I don't know about that, right? Because there's no general duty to intervene. So I don't know that you can necessarily draw any inferences at all from everyone's non-behavior, right? Because there's no general duty to intervene. I have no general duty to you. So the fact that I see you taking off your clothes and swimming around in your underwear and stuff, you can't really infer anything from that from a legal sense. You might be able to say, well, it might be that I think that you're within your rights, or I could think, you know, you're a complete idiot who can't make any decisions, but I'm still not going to intervene. So from a purely legal posture, looking to people's non-actions as a way of them concluding, oh, that she was not unable to make those decisions. Um, no, that doesn't quite float for me. Then to take it to the next step, as she got out of the pool, you know, either passed out or fell asleep or laid down on the concrete, which sounds like, you know, that could be an issue. Then she got up and went over by the house and was throwing up and was tended to apparently by a nurse or some other adult who was present. The unreviewed testimonies, the adults there wanted her out. They didn't want her at the party anymore and wanted her to go home. But she made the decision. She told everyone she didn't want to go home. That's what her friends told us, and parenthetically, I think that's what she told us. So she made the decision that I don't want to go home. I would guess that she didn't want to be confronted by her father or the people at the home in the condition that she was in at the time that she was out. She was out past curfew, but she made that decision and the people around her acquiesced to that decision, apparently believing that she was in a condition that she could make up her own mind as to what was best for her. Again, I don't think you can look to people's non-actions as an indication of this. People do not have a duty to other people. I can watch you do things and think that you're not in your sane mind and still not intervene. It doesn't imply that I think you're sane. Then when the car got to the home, she made the decision she wanted to stay in the car. The driver of the car and everyone in the car acquiesced to that decision, and they let her sit there for, I believe, it was half an hour. and may have even been longer than that. The young man was being consoled because his dog died. But again, all the friends acquiesced to her decision to stay there in the car. That's when it was time to finally go into the house. She's the one that went into the house. And there's a prior inconsistent statement in the police report. The one witness told the officer that she was talking to the people when she was in inside the house. At trial, she said she wasn't talking to people inside the house. But I think, you know, logic tells us that what was told to the officer originally is the truth, even though it's contradicted by prior inconsistent statements or subsequent inconsistent statements, and she was talking to people there. I mean, that's one way to parse the evidence, I suppose. So this young lady had been making decisions all night long, literally to everyone around her. Some young people, some adults, some trained professionals acquiesced to her decisions. And I think by course of conduct, that's telling us that she knew that she was doing and was able to make decisions for herself, and that's what she'd done all night long. Again, people do not have a duty to people in general, even if those people are professionals. Uh, just because I'm a nurse or a doctor or all the rest of things doesn't necessarily imply I have any affirmative duty to you in general. If I want to watch you just, you know, go do stuff and, you know, watch and chuckle... That might be well within my legal rights. So, yeah. 
Then when we get into the basement area, she, of course, eventually left alone with my client. She says she doesn't remember what happened there. Therefore, I'll go on. She says she doesn't remember what happened there, and some of her account is contradicted completely by DNA evidence, the scientific evidence that was presented to the court. But in addition, my client, whose credibility and whose demeanor you're able to observe, has always made the same statement. He went to the police station and he sat there for a long time, and he was interviewed and he told them what occurred. He got in, came into court, and told us what happened. And he fully believed them. He fully believes now. And the unrebutted testimony is that he knew what she knew what was going on. She was capable of comment, consenting. She somewhat participated in the act and therefore being consistent with everything else that happened. She was able to consent. She did not know what was going on. She did know what was going on. And my client should be found not guilty, especially when you consider the only evidence you have before you is to what occurred that basement is the testimony of the young lady who says she doesn't remember. And the testimony of my client that says that she clearly consented. And given the fact the state has the burden of proof beyond reasonable doubt on that issue, I suggest the court that they did fail to meet this burden of proof. And I'll ask the court to reconsider its ruling and find my client not guilty. Thank you. Now, let's just analyze this from a legal standpoint and a tactical standpoint and a whole bunch of other standpoints, okay? First of all, the defense lawyer is doing their job. So there's that, right? And this evidence, we'll just take it as given. Because, you know, they're not allowed to lie, but they're allowed to put it in the most favorable light possible, right? So there might be other evidence that would go against them. But of course, they're not going to make that particularly clear right now. So we're going to assume everything they just said is true. Although there might be other evidence that's more damning when considered. So first of all, the defense lawyer is doing their job. So there's that. Second of all, the issue of guilt is an issue that has to be decided by the finder of fact, which for this case is the trial, which is this case is the judge. So did she have the ability to consent or not is one issue. Did she in fact have the ability to consent or not? Did she in fact consent or not? And did he know, because that's the standard in this criminal statute, again, your mileage might vary in other statute, but did he know she didn't have the ability to consent? And so depending on how you believe all this and how you interpret this, this might be some evidence that would suggest one conclusion versus another, right? These are all reasonable. In fact, they're based on reasons. That's what makes them reasonable. These are reasonable arguments. There might be other arguments that are very reasonable too that might go the other way. But did, did the state prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he knew she didn't have the ability to consent? Okay, he, so the lawyer has made a whole bunch of arguments along those lines. Okay, fine, let's see what happens next. So the court says, thank you. Then asks, Ms. Rodriguez, so ask the prosecution for its thoughts. So here's what the prosecutor would like to say. Your Honor, with regards to the post-trial motion, first of all, with respect to weight of the evidence, I certainly disagree with Mr. Schneck's entire argument. There was a conflict in the evidence. There certainly is a lot of evidence regarding the level of intoxication of the victim in this case. There was also her direct testimony that she was asleep, that she awoke to a pillow being pushed over her face, and that she was being purely assaulted. And she at no time gave consent. And that fact earlier in that evening, she specifically indicated she did not want any period contact with this defendant. So as the court already resolved these issues, the court's decision was not against the manifest weight of the evidence. And in fact, was very much supported by the evidence that was presented. I want to address the additional basis under the post-trial motion. The manifest weight of the evidence is just one prong of the motion. Schneck has also indicated that made that indicated that made prejudicial comments and erroneous statements in my closing arguments. 
and failed to state what these comments or statements were. He also indicates defendant was denied equal protection of the law, but again, does not indicate how defendant was denied equal protection. And finally, he indicates that the verdict was a result of passion, bias, and prejudice from witnesses and their testimony was inconsistent. Again, he doesn't indicate how the witnesses were biased or prejudiced or the basis for that. So I'd simply ask the court to deny these post-trial motions. Mr. Schnapp, nothing further, Your Honor. I think I made this point. Okay, so here the court's going to get into its analysis, and this is what, where things matter, right? It's like, what is the basis for the court's reasoning? What's the board basis for the court's decision? Has the court reconsidered its finding? Has the court reconsidered things and be like, you know, I don't know. Or is there some other reason? So what is the rationale for the court? Okay, let's see where the rubber reads the road. The court. The court has considered these motions. The court has considered the arguments of counsel and the written motions themselves. This court is required to do justice. This court is required to do justice by the public, and it's required to do justice by me, and it's required to do justice by God. It is a mandatory sentence to the Department of Corrections. This happens when the teenager, because he was and is a teenager, was two weeks past being 18 years old. Okay. He has no prior record, none whatsoever. By law, the court is supposed to sentence this young man to Department of Corrections. This court will not do that. That is not just. There is no way for what happened in this case that this teenager should go to Department of Corrections. I will not do that. The court could find the sentencing statute for this offense is unconstitutional as applied to this defendant. But that's not going to solve the problem because if the court does that, this court will be reversed by the appellate course and Mr. Clinton will end up in the Department of Corrections because you would be legally wrong. Right. Mr. Clinton has served almost five months in the county jail, 148 days. For what happened in this case, this is plenty of punishment. That, that would be a just sentence. The court can't do this. But what the court can do, because this was a bench trial, this court will find that the people failed to prove their case on count three. The court is going to reconsider its verdict. It's going to find the defendant not guilty on count three. And therefore, the case. The defendant will be released from custody. Bond will be discharged. Well, that's pretty telling. So, bad judge, bad judge. The, the the judge didn't say the judge didn't say you know what I've reconsidered things in light of a right of cooler right of cooler things and reconsidered things. You know what I just came to the wrong decision. You know, not guilty. I've you know I made the mistake. You know, I'm the trier of fact. Fortunately, I'm in a position to fix that mistake. You know, so I'm going to, I'm going to render the judgment. I should have rendered in the first place. Not guilty. Right. He, he didn't say that. He said, uh, he said, uh, I, if I, if I said it was unconstitutional, I'd lose. So the only thing I can do here, cause I'm not going to send him to jail cause it's cruel is say he's not guilty. So I'm going to say not guilty, not because he is not guilty, but because of corrupt reasons. Wow. You know, uh, I was hoping somehow it would be better on the page when we got there, but it was no better on the page. This judge is just horrible. Uh, okay. And the other thing I want to say is I cannot believe that adults were involved in this case. Parents and other adults who were involved in this case took responsibility so lightly for teenage kids. He, he's an adult. I cannot believe the permissiveness and lack of responsibility taken by everyone involved in this case. 
This is what happens when parents do not exercise their parental responsibilities. When we have people, adults, having parties for teenagers, and they allow co-eds and female people to swim in their underwear in their swimming pool. This is a really, really old school judge to use the word co-ed, which is a very old school world, old school word for a female. This judge must be ancient. Wow. And no, underwear is not the same thing as a swimming suit. It's just they allow 16-year-olds to bring liquor to a party. They provide liquor to underage people. And you wonder how these things happen. Well, that's how these things happen. The court is totally disgusted with the whole thing. Uh, okay. And Mr. Clinton, you're going to be released. So go home if you still have one. This case is adjourned. The court will take this order into chambers whereby Evans offered and all proceedings were terminated. And that's the end of all that. Wow. So that brings us to the end of this article and probably the end of this case. Because the judge instituted a reversal of the conviction from the bench trial and found not guilty. So I think he can't. I, I don't know. I, I guess the state can't appeal. I don't know if there's any law dealing with this particular fact pattern. Because normally you don't have a judge just out and out saying, I'm doing this because of corrupt reasons. And you did already technically find him guilty. Can the state appeal this? Probably not. But, you know, if I'm the state, I'm half tempted to give it a try. Might as well get slammed down by the Court of Appeals on a double jeopardy issue. But man, oh man, what a total nightmare mess this is. Uh, this judge has since been reassigned from criminal cases to uh, small claims. So the judge is on the bench still, but now doing small claims. But yeah, I don't, I don't think this can be appealed. But I'll tell you what, if I was the, if I was the prosecutor, I might give it a shot and uh, just wait to get completely destroyed by the Court of Appeals on double jeopardy issues. But uh, wow, this case didn't make any more sense when we ran the transcript. It's really as bad as the headline says. And uh, that is the end of this article. Thank you so much for being part of the Uncivil Law family. If you enjoyed this legal education content, please hit the subscribe button. It really helps the channel grow. We appreciate your continuing support. Until later, my friends, cheers and goodbye.